Thank you for joining the Capital Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is for you and that through these expressions of our community, you will find hope, healing, and belonging. To learn more, join us live every week online and visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at capitalchurch.co. Well, last Sunday, uh, Pastor Mark did a great job sparking, speaking, sparking, yeah, he was sparking us to <clears throat> speaking about worship and how it wasn't just what we do through, through in the service of, of singing. I'm going to take that, and, and, and his message was spot on. And what we need to do now is take that which he said <clears throat> and begin to uh, make that real to, with the platform of worship in which we do sing. And we're going to talk about that right now. Now, there's three things. <clears throat> I'll just say this right away. There's probably two major messages in my life that changed my life. One of them happened in 1973. My life changed around through worship. Totally reversed. Everything happened. The second thing in my life that turned me around was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You get those two working, you got a good combination. So I want to talk to you about my life story in a sense of how I see this. And I'm going to take you through, because it's, it's important that we understand Scripture, that we understand why we're doing what we're doing. You gotta, you gotta say amen to some of these things. You gotta know why you're doing something. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to explain that to you today, give you a good explanation of why we worship and what we're doing in the house of God as we do worship. <clears throat> and first of all, we have to understand who is it that we're worshiping? <laughs> you better know who you're worshiping. We worship a person. That person is the embodied person of Jesus Christ. And he is the central person. He's the center point of our witness. He's the centerpiece of everything. You know, we sing that song, he's the center of our lives. And, and I believe the, the Bible itself. Now, I'm going to say some profound things today, whether you, you, whether you think so or not. I'm, I, I believe a lot of what I'm saying today is, is divinely inspired and, 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 and powerful. The Bible exists. This word that I'm speaking out of today exists for the purpose of explanation and description of the Messiah. This is what this is all about. It's about returning to the kingdom of God. It's a legal document of God's vow to come back to the earth and renew everything, including us. And that's why we're here today. The Messiah is the subject that's woven into every fabric of every book of the Bible. Whether God is said, spoken or not, the Messiah is inferred. Now, each generation in the church must answer the question, what place is Christ himself being given in the church? And since we don't come to church, we are the church. What place are we giving Christ in our hearts? And who is Jesus? And how am I going to relate to him? Well, I think we need to reestablish a, a, an unswerving focus on the person who we worship, Jesus Christ. We've got to intentionally see that it's a person. It's not a thing. It's not in power. It's, it's, it's a person. Jesus is the Lord of the church. He's the almighty father. He's the sovereign of the universe. He's, he's embodied in the Holy Spirit, the purifier, as well as the power source of God's people. That is who we worship, Jesus himself. And his worship, his praise, and his glorious honoring must become the focus and essence of everything we think about, everything we plan, arrange, produce, and do when we worship. I think we're really dumbed down Christians. I'm not saying you're dumb. I think we're all dumbed down. In other words, we have, not, we have not asserted ourselves to pursue God in the level that we should. And I'm talking to myself. We need to pursue intentionally. And all worship must flow from the fountainhead of the word of God. 
which is what we're speaking from, in order to maintain a right perspective uh, towards him. Hebrews 1, uh, Sal just read that. Hebrews 1 tells us this. Now, listen to these things. That You just listen to this beautiful voice that said this scripture in Hebrews 1. But let me try to describe what he was saying. This scripture tells us that Jesus, the person we worship, is the predestined heir of all things. He's predestined heir of how many things? All things. He's the avenue of power by whom the world was made. Everything that was made was made by the power of God. He's the radiant, now this is all in the scripture, he's the radiant representative of God's glory shown to mankind. He's the ultimate expression of the ultimate reality. Boy, we're getting philosophical. Man, we're getting like Pastor Chris here. He's the sustainer of all that exists in the universe. He's the savior from sin and redeemer of sinful mankind. He's the exalted and ascended Lord. These are all things that are included in the person we're worshiping today. And I think sometimes we just come into church, or I should say the service of the church, and we just, we just get in this routine. We go through a few songs. Oh, that was a nice song. I like that song. No, it isn't about the songs. It isn't about that. It's about who we are worshiping and what happens when we worship. Three things happen when we worship. I mean, just three things. I'm going to tell you more, but three things occur. When you worship, you clothe God in majesty and glory. Wow. As you, you bless God. Secondly, when you worship, you are transformed. Yes. Thirdly, when you worship, the enemy is ruined. Yes. That's a pretty good combination. When we worship, all those things occur. So don't skip worship in church. A word for the wise is sufficient, as my father would say. We need to get into worship because worship is the precursor, is the opening of the door for God to move by his power. I'm going to give you theological background for all this because I, I think it's very important. Do you know how hard it is for a pastor to get up here and summarize what God has done over 6,000 years? It's, it's brutal because you're, you're trying to give everything you can and, sure, and I can't qualify everything and we'd be here all day. But I, I want to try to get you to understand that this person that we're, that we're worshiping this morning. <clears throat> Let's talk about just for a minute God's dwelling place. The living God dwells where his people worship. He lives where his people worship. And life happens where he dwells or lives. How do I know that? Psalms 22 verse 3 says, you dwell in the praises of your people, or but you are wholly enthroned in the praises of Israel. In other words, the life flow of a church congregation will rise only as high as their worship of the Godhead. Ephesians 2.22 says, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. In other words, we are being made a dwelling place so God himself, the creator of the universe, can come into us and use us as representatives of heaven and the kingdom of God in such powerful ways that we can intentionally, through God's uh, service, we can intentionally change the world. It's, it's powerful. You see, you got to get past this. Well, we got to get saved because we need to get to heaven. Right. Is that all you want? Because when you get saved, you have the hope. That's the door to the whole kingdom of God with all of its treasury and all of its inheritance. You, you got to understand that. So it's, it's just not getting fire insurance, life insurance. It's about a kingdom. It's about entering something that a realm that we have only dreamed of. And so God comes to create in us a place so he can live. First Peter two, four, five says coming to him as a living stone rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house a royal priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We're being made to be alive stones so God can fill us. Yes. Each member of the body of Christ is a part of the temple of the Lord. Yes. 
God is actually looking for a place to dwell. How do I know that? Did you, did you ever notice on, on earth when Jesus came, he never had a place to live? Wow. Christmas. Couldn't find a place in the inn. And then it says in Matthew 8, 10, it says foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. He didn't have a home. Do you ever think about that? Do you have any place to go to dwell? God has a hard time finding a place to be on this planet. Therefore, he made us. Let's give him room to come to us to live, to dwell. So, starting with that, let's talk about the biblical grounds for worship because you've got to understand this. I look at the big picture first and then come back to how that applies to me. First of all, you have to understand this. I'm going to give you six steps. Step one is there was lost authority 6,000 years ago. In other words, humanity was given dominion of the planet and then it gave it away. Authority over the planet was initially given to Adam. And Adam was given everything and was asked to obey God in only one thing. And he violated the one thing and therefore not only lost his relationship with God, but he lost the kingdom, he lost his dominion, and that he lost his power. I remember, is, is it okay if I tell stories on you, Chris? So, I'm doing it anyway, I was dad, so. Chris was a... He was a great little boy, and he, he, we had these Bible story books, and he, would, he would, had pictures in them. He couldn't read everything yet, but he would look through the pictures, and then we'd read it to him. He called, when he first named Jesus, it was Ajis. Ajis, pop, daddy, Ajis, Ajis, daddy. And then he looked at the Jesus on the cross. He says, Ajis, owie, Ajis, owie. That's how sensitive he was, even as a... He was a little little boy. But as he grew up, he just, he became incensed. And I understood. He became incensed with, why did Adam and Eve sin? What's the deal? You know, you want to go back and change everything. That's kind of the way we feel and should feel. Because he gave it all away. He gave dominion, Adam and Eve. They both gave dominion and authority away. And now... Man lives on the planet without the right to rule over it. That's what happened after, after Adam sinned. His relationship with the creator had been, was severed and he must now earn his living by the sweat of his brow. It was never intended to be that way. Everything you have a hard time right now with is, was never intended to be that way. Death never intended to be. That's why it's so hard to have separation with death. It wasn't intended to be that way. It just, it just gets us. Boy, it gets me. That's why Jesus shouted when he, when he raised Lazarus from the dead. He was so incensed with death. But by obeying the suggestions of another being, Satan, rather than God, Adam submitted himself to another power. He transferred the title deed, and you all know this, but I want to refer to it, the title deed to this planet into the hands of the serpent. Jesus, God even called Satan the prince of this world. The kingdom of God intended to be administrated by man on earth has been crowded off the planet by the kingdom of darkness. That's what we're up against. Everything you see, dark, evil, yucky, hard, it's all darkness. It's all evil, the kingdom of darkness. God could have taken back rulership. But his desire has always been and always will be that the human race he created would rule the planet. Dominion was lost because of man's choice. Dominion is a word that means to rule over. Human beings are still created in the image of God. Come on, even now, they're created in the image of God. And we still have the right and the capacity to make our own choices. Step two was this. God began to then begin to apply the redemptive plan. In the Old Testament, uh, God prepares to introduce his king, setting the stage for the whole redemption of earth. What does redeem mean? To, to, it's, it's easy. It's buyback. Redemption means buyback. Say buyback. Buy God came to buy you back. Yeah. Pretty easy thought. So he begins with Abraham and takes him outside his tent and shows him all the stars of the sky and says, Hey, these are all your kids. Basically, that's what he was saying. 
And he said, through whose offspring he intends to recover the planet and bless all its nations through Abraham. But his chosen people wind up enslaved in Egypt and he then summons Moses to deliver Israel. Exodus 19.6. This is fascinating. These are words in the Old Testament that match words in the New Testament. In Revelation chapter 1, it says in Exodus 19.6, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. We even way back then, God wanted his people to be kings and priests. His intention was that all Israel would be priests. And this plan was cut short when the people rebelled against Moses' leadership, if you remember, and built the golden calf. You remember that whole story, those of you who watched the Ten Commandments? But there was one tribe that stood by Moses during this time. One tribe said, no! And that was the tribe of Levi. The Levites. As a result of that incident, priesthood in the nation of Israel became restricted to only one tribe. Levites. In the New Testament, now we go to the New Testament. We learn that Jesus desires for all those who name him as their Lord to be his ministering priests. We're to be priests and kings. But just like the Old Testament perspective and experience, church tradition began to single out the priesthood as a select few. The bishops, the elders, the priests, the fathers, the pastors. Not realizing that God's intention, we're all priests and kings. It's the priesthood of all believers. It's very, it's very necessary that we understand that. You have just as much authority as I or any other priest or pastor. We're all, we all have one way. God has no respect of persons. And so in Revelation 1.6 it says again, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We are his kings. We have dominion. That's what kings do. They take dominion. They have power. And we are his priests. What do priests do? They worship. They worship. We're all to have dominion and we're all to worship. It isn't just, now, worshiping isn't just for people that have good voices. <laughs> Diane, I know. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Either that or give me a good voice, Lord. But that's not the intention. It's not to, to expound upon our wonderful voices or lack thereof. So, what happens? We have a step three. God begins to introduce the role of worship. This is, this is scripture. I'm taking this out of scripture so you can understand this. When the Lord appeared to Moses in the burning bush, he told him certain things. Remember this story? Moses goes out in the desert. Uh, he's, he's been there for several years. Uh, he fled Egypt. And all of a sudden, he has an encounter with the living God. There's a burning bush. He goes to it. He turns to it. And out of the burning bush, he has words from God. In Exodus 3.12, this is the part of the experience, the encounter. It says, when you have brought the people out of Egypt. Now, God actually mandates him or God commissions him at this point to go and deliver his people out of Egypt. And he says, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. He's on a mountain. He says, when you bring the people out of, out of Egypt, I want you to come and serve God here. The word serve is the word worship. I want you to come and worship on this mountain. Now, <clears throat> you have to understand this. This is why Moses was so intent on getting the people out of Egypt. What did, he had an encounter with God on a mountain. He, he was changed by that encounter. And what he wanted to do, because when he talked to Pharaoh, he said, let my people go so we can go worship. That's what he said. He didn't say so we can get out of here and go to the promised land. No, so we can go worship. He wanted to take them back to the place or the encounter that he had with God. He wanted them to encounter God like he did. Because he, he worshiped God. What happened when he worshiped God? I mean, he came off mountains just glowing. That's what happens when you're in the presence of God. You change. You, you cannot be in God's presence and not change. And so this, this happened. It took only one day. Think about this. It took only one day for God to deliver the Ten Commandments. But Israel remained at Mount Sinai for a year. The place where he encountered God, he brought him back. 
He wanted them to encounter God in the same way. What happened is God taught them how to build the tabernacle of Moses, how to worship, and they were taught the whole, the whole principles of worship. The tabernacle of Moses is a is, is uh, shadows and, and types of, of what we do in worship today. God's plan for redemption, recovery of fellowship, and rescued dominion was that his people would be priests and priests lead worship. He was teaching his people how to worship at Mount Sinai. Then they started their journey. Uh, I have so much in my head, Lord, help me. Then they started their journey. Human beings would never be able to take back this planet in their own strength. That's why he taught them how to worship. Only in the context of their relationship with him and the dominion that flows from his throne was the power of God ever going to touch earth at all. The only way that we tap into that is through worship. And then God goes to step four. Step four is worship begins to expand. Worship under David's monarchy expanded greatly. It was, it was amazing. David's reign saw both the boundaries of worship and the boundaries of territorial land expand in an unprecedented measure or manner. David had a heart for worship and taught his people about praising the Lord. How did he do it? He built a tabernacle of David and for 24 hours a day for 40 years, he put eight eight uh, groups of Levitical priests in order and they took, they took turns of going in eight hour shifts in the tabernacle for 40 years. And what David did when he, wanted to hear, when, when he wanted to hear a word from God, he went into the tabernacle of David and, and just sat in the presence of God and God would give him revelation. That's why he was one of the greatest warriors. And that's why, now you got to catch this, that's why the dominion of land expanded. Israel had the greatest expanse of land during David's time rather than any other king. Why? Because he worshiped God. Worshiping God expands the dominion of your authority, power, and territory. <sighs> because under, uh, let me just say it this way, under David's leadership, there was a correlation between the expansion of territorial boundaries and the expansion of the boundaries of worship. As their worship grew, so did their dominion. Same holds true for the church today. It expands in dominion. The church expands in dominion. What do I mean by dominion? Taking authority over, not people, over areas of darkness, over, over the principalities and powers. Could worship be the key to a release of signs and wonders and miracles? Could worship be the key to evangelism expansion? Could worship be? I could go on. Not could be, it is. Step five is then the entrance of the king or the son. So God's own son comes and tabernacles among us. Isn't that interesting? John 1.14 says this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us or tabernacled among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth. Isn't it interesting that it uses the same word as Moses tabernacle, David's tabernacle. Jesus come and tabernacles among us. He dwells. In other words, he lives. In other words, if you remember the Old Testament, the tabernacle of Moses, what happened? How did the, the children of Israel know that God was in the tabernacle of Moses? The cloud and the fire. When the cloud and the fire were over the, the tent of meeting, they knew that God was in the, it was in the house. Same thing was true of, of David's tabernacle. When we go in the presence, the, the cloud of his presence would be inside and the priest couldn't even minister because of the cloud. How do, how do we know when God's present here today? He tabernacles among us. Now, Jesus proclaims that the kingdom of God is present because he's the king and he's here. For the first time since Adam now, there is a sinless man on the planet and Jesus overcomes where Adam failed. He is here to it. Now listen to this carefully. Jesus came. He's here to establish a new breed of human beings. Think on that for a minute. 
He came not to just save you and buy you back. He came to make you a brand new breed, a brand new species, a brand new group of people who would be priests and kings. A chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That's what it said in 1 Peter 2.9. But you're a chosen generation, royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In other words, when, when we're, we're authorized to take God's dominion and when we worship and we praise, things happen. If you could only see when we get together and worship what happens in the heavenlies. If our eyes could be open for a minute, there's no way we would stop worshiping. These are the people whom God is going to use to reclaim the planet. And the way they're going to do it is through worship. Not only does Jesus win victory over death at the cross, but by the power of his resurrection, he becomes the seed that having fallen into the ground, it dies, but then it begins to bear fruit as it resurrects. All over the planet, now listen to this carefully, I use this term on purpose. All over the planet, he begets people who receive the power of his resurrected life and they begin to come alive with dominion possibility. Ooh, that was an awesome statement, Pastor Ken. And this dominion power possibly brings the rule, power, and presence of God to all the earth. The answer to the earth is not more political policies. The answer to the earth is the kingdom of God being pronounced, being taken through dominion by God's people through worship, declaring the word and prayer. Wow. No longer does man have to labor in the power of his flesh. We have the power of God. The kingdom of God is at hand. That's what Jesus was saying. And step six, the last one. Jesus now prepares the church to be the temple of living stones. This is the last stage. The Lord is now ready to build his people into a dwelling place for his presence. Remember what I said? God can't find a place on earth. So what did he do? He prepared a new breed of people that he can dwell in. Begun and beget by Jesus himself. And so when we gather together, we, we become a place for God to dwell and for the dominion of his kingdom to be established. We don't, we, we don't come to church. We are the church who come together to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. We are living stones set together in such a marvelous way that when we come together and worship, he begins to do awesome things because in Psalms 22, 3, he dwells in the praise of his people. When we worship, God will come and dwell with us. Mm. With all the weight of his glory, his rulership, and vibrant relationship. I, I, it's just amazing. In this atmosphere, in the atmosphere of God's worship, our royal priesthood is restored. We become ministering agents of his resurrection life. We are enabled to move out in ever-expanding dominion, expanding the kingdom of God territorially and spiritually everywhere we go. That's why I don't hesitate to walk into a senator's office or a congressman's office. And in my spirit, I'm saying this land belongs to God. Yes. I'm not intimidated. Yeah. My boss is bigger than your boss. <laughs> wow. So what happens is four things happen in worship. Are you still with me? Yeah. The word becomes incarnated in us. In other words, Jesus becomes, he lives in us through worship. In worship, peoples are healed. The expanse of signs and wonders occur. I, 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 would, I would bet that most healings occur when worship is present. Because it pushes back evil, allows God's word to come. Because the Bible says God sends his word to heal you. The only way you can be healed is through his word. His word comes, plants it as a seed because the word is a seed. Plants the seed in the cells of your body, overcomes the sickness and you're healed. 
I was talking to Olive this morning, first service. She's, she's battled cancer for years. And she told me when she went in to visit the doctor and the doctor says, cancer's all through your body. She said, she said what'd you say? Cancer's all through my body or, or your body. She says, no, I'm a Christian. And God's word in his seat is more powerful than the cancer that you're speaking about today. I do not accept that. And she was healed. She, she keeps demonstrating that, telling me that. It's awesome. Also in this presence, people come to know the Lord as his kingdom is moving through. They begin to just, man, I want to I know this God. And then as we worship, God empowers his people in such a way that our worship crowds out all borders of hell. Hell has to leave. Just get out of here. You know, we, you, you don't realize the power that you have. The living tabernacling God lives in you. So it's the power of worship, the fountainhead of all power. The release of God's purpose in our life, the restoration of his rulership on earth happened through the power of worship. Worship releases purpose, power, path. It gives us a pathway to what God wants. He establishes the climate in which people begin to learn a true uh, uh, understanding of God. Worship is essential to God's plan of redemption, provides a strategic avenue for his entry. It is by the means by which God generates the power for his rule to be extended. Where worship is, is released, God's presence comes to dwell. And then you know what happens? Have you ever heard of the, the, the word glory? The word glory is the word kabod in scripture. It's kabod, C-H-A-B-O-D. It's kabod. It means heavyweight. Heavyweight, when, when we begin to worship, there's a heavyweight of his glory that comes. I mean, I have that. When I'm in, when I'm in the deep presence of God, my head starts going down. I, I can't, it just goes. And I, you, know, you start bowing on, on, under the present, the glory, the kabod of God's heavyweight. That's why it says heavyweight. There was a story in the Old Testament. This is interesting. Story in the Old Testament where uh, the, the Eli and his priest sons disobeyed God. And one of the son's wives had a baby. And she named the baby Ichabod. What does Ichabod mean? It means no glory. The glory has departed. She had a revelation that the glory of God had left because the, the Ark of the Covenant had been taken and stolen. And she came back saying, my son shall be called no glory. Don't name your son Ichabod. Okay, just don't do that. All right, are you still with me? Now, we're, I want to conclude here. That there's a restorative power of worship that we have to understand. Now, uh, in Isaiah 6, 1 through 4, it's interesting. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, his kabod. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. Wherever you find God and worship, you always hear everybody saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Holy, holy. Then they fall down their face. Then they get up and they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Then they fall down again. They get up. They just keep because the glory is too heavy. You can't stand long because it, 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 it just, it levels everything. And this is the story of Uzziah and Isaiah. This was a time of national crisis, just like we have a national crisis today. King Uzziah dies. They don't know what's going to happen in Judah. So Uzziah is seeking the Lord. What are, we, what are you going to do, Lord? There we, have a, we have a crisis on our hands. And in a vision, he's transported in the presence of God. He, see, he sees the Shekinah glory, the glory, the manifest glory of God. And he sees angelic beings that surround the throne of God. But seeing God like this caused Isaiah. Now, how many of you think Isaiah was probably pretty holy? Probably pretty, pretty good guy. Isaiah says, he says, who, he was a man who we would call godly. He came to 
to, to, to a horrible sense of his own unworthiness and failure. In verse five, it says, so I said, woe is me for I am undone. Because I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Wow. He was undone. Now, this is, this is fascinating. You stay with me here. The Greek word for worthy is the word axios. It originally described a coin of valuable metals that was worth its full weight. Originally, money would contain the amount of value in gold or silver that it represented. If it was only that way today. For instance, a $20 gold piece would contain $20 worth of gold. However, over time, coins would wear thin and lose some of their actual value. They wouldn't weigh as much. They would weigh less and thus become worth less. We see the word worthless today as worth nothing. That's not how it was originally meant. It actually means worth less. This is how Isaiah is feeling about himself. He is sensing that his life has lost some of its value. And faced with the awesome holiness of God, he feels unworthy. And I, I want to I apply this to us. We often feel undone and unworthy, just as Isaiah did. We do not seem at times to be able to pull our lives together. We feel unworthy, unholy. And just... Just like Isaiah, after years of use and handling, the face of God on us can be worn thin like a coin. So there come times when the image of the living God, the image that God placed on us, on our lives and the wholeness of our character seem to have worn thin. We may have lost our sensitivity to God. We may feel we become just so much small change. We, we may even feel worth less. But in this setting, our loving Father, according to Scripture, calls us to enter his presence. This is, a, this is a worship encounter. He calls us to enter his presence in order that a transfer of his image and being and nature can come into us. In other words, listen to this carefully. God desires to remint and restore the worth of our lives by pouring into us through worship. Wow. Through worship, the worth that has been worn off for years of use and, you know, hard labor and everything that we do in our lives, it can be restored. God comes and replaces the, his image in us. He remints us. Our awareness of sin and failure happens not that we might be condemned, but that we might be restored. God desires to meet you and me at the point of our need so he can purify and restore us. That's why he says in verse six, he says, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a, whole, a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth with it and he said, behold, this had touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. Just like that. With the holy fire of God, the angel touches the part of Isaiah's body that he felt impure about, his lips. Not to burn him up but to restore them. God is going to touch every part of our bodies that is impure and restore them. The fire of the coal of the altar of God brings regeneration to the very place of impurity that Isaiah was most sensitive about and that we are most sensitive about. So at whatever point of your greatest weakness, the Lord invites us to come to him, worship in the midst of his holiness, and be touched and restored by his purifying fire. That's what happens in worship. I, I got to close this out, but boy, this is so good. So, what Isaiah 6, 3, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Every time we're given a glimpse of heaven, we always see worship and hear the word holy, holy, holy. There's a root relationship between the words whole W-H-O-L-E, the words health, wholeness, and holy. Holiness is being whole at the spiritual level. When I'm born again, I am called a holy person. And I made whole, W-H-O-L-E, before God. Holiness is God's entirety entering my incompleteness. 
his whole being coming into me. That's why when God looks at you, he sees purity, completeness, and perfection because he sees himself. That's why it says in Psalm 1611, in your presence is fullness of joy. We come through worship to the one who is holy in order that our inadequacies and failures may be purged and replaced with his wholeness. God calls us to worship him and be holy. Be holy for I am holy. I, you know, when I was young, I didn't like that scripture. What, how can I be holy like you, God? You know, and I was, that, that's impossible. And I saw this as a requirement. But I've come to see that is not God's heart. Just as we inherit certain characteristics from our biological parents, so we, in our worship, as we worship the image and nature of our Heavenly Father, begin to be manifested in our lives. I inherited the genetics from my father of a balding head. We all inherit certain things from our fathers, our parents. In the same way, our Heavenly Father says, my life and likeness are in you. You will be holy because I'm holy. So when we get into worship, what happens? His call to be holy is not a requirement. It's a promise. Wow. It's a promise. Wow. When you get into worship, you become holy. When we worship, my hair grows back. <laughs> As a manner of speaking. As we worship, his image and nature began to become manifest in our lives. That's why... He ends up, Isaiah ends up by being released and commissioned after he was purified and made whole. Now, a couple thoughts as we close. Isn't it interesting who was the archangel of worship in the Bible. The archangel of worship, his name was Lucifer. And according to Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, he, had a, he, he covered all of worship. In other words, he was the choir director. He was, he was so filled with musical instruments, he was like an orchestra in himself. That's what the Bible says. But he got so full of himself, he sinned and God had to kick him out. Isn't it interesting that God comes to us and says, I want you to worship. I want you to become a priest. I want you to become a living stone so I can fill you up so you can be a worshiping priest. Because God is making the church the replacement for Lucifer. Think on that. You were being asked to be the worshiping covering, in a sense, cherub, archangel, whatever, over the throne of God. And we worship, when we worship, you see this in Revelation, when we worship, something happens in such dramatic form, I, I believe that we then take the place of Satan. That's why Satan hates you. When you worship, you know what you're saying? We are your replacement, we are your replacement. That's, that's the truth. So don't take worship as this. A few songs and we go on to the word or... No, worship should be something that, that is deep within our hearts. We should be worshiping during the week. We should be worshiping in our cars. We should be work, worshiping at, you know, at home and in different, different ways, in different, in different situations. I want to close with this story. Long ago, potters used to put their earthenware vases in ovens to temper them as, as much as we do now. They had one major problem back then though. Since they did not have clocks or all the technical gear we have today, they had to literally play it by ear in the, in the furnace. One man watched a potter work in his vessel and when, when this potter put, put it in the oven, the, the vase in the oven, the observer asked, well, how long will you leave it in there? Didn't have clock. The potter straightened up and said, well, some take longer than others. Some not so long. It just depends on how, much, how, how I make the piece. You see, we never make them just alike. Well, how do you know when it's done? The man asked. Potter shrugged and said, we keep it in the, in, in the heat until it sings. 
surprised the observer said, what do you mean until it sings? The potter explained, well, there's a noise that emanates from tempered pottery in the heat, in the heat of a furnace once it reaches the proper heat point. When we hear the pottery singing in the furnace, we know it's ready to be removed from the heat. Stay right here. Listen for the song. So the man sat there by the oven while the potter returned to his potter's wheel. Sure enough, after a short time, he began to hear a high-pitched hum coming from the, from the oven. The man glanced at the potter and said, is, is, is it singing now? The potter nodded and said, sure is. It's fully tempered and ready to come out. Application. You may be in the midst of your own fire right now. We all go through them. But let me ask you this. Are you singing yet? We need to learn how to sing when we are being heated in what the Bible calls furnace of affliction. When you're being tested and tempered, learn how to sing. Learn how to worship. When you're in the heat of the furnace of affliction, the only thing you can do that has any substance, any value, any creative power at all is to worship. It is during the dark moments that you need to remind yourself, Lord, you haven't lost track of me. And when you're done with me, when you're done testing me, I'm, I'm gonna come forth as gold and I'm gonna sing, I'm gonna worship. I'm gonna be that instrument. I'm gonna be that dwelling place that you can dwell in. I, can, I wanna be that instrument that's gonna change the world through your dominion. Has this made sense? This is scripture. Now, I mentioned this. 1973, I walk in the back door of a church. Two things changed my life. I walked in the back door of the church at this time, a worshiping church, and I walked in the back, and I'd been in church all my life. I'd heard worship songs and hymns and all those things. But I walked in the back, and all of a sudden, I heard a sound I'd never heard before. It was powerful. It was like the sound of many waters, according to Revelation. What it was, after this congregation get done singing a song that they had, they sang together, they began to worship from their heart. Contemporary song of the Lord. Now, you have to understand that every song has a key. And in every key, there's three major chords. In three, isn't it interesting? The Godhead. Music was made by God for us. If I went into and showed you the analogy of music to God, you'd it'd blow you away. But all of a sudden we, we understand this worship that came and uttered from the people changed my life. My whole view of God changed because I saw worship in a whole new manner. It wasn't just singing songs. It was worshiping God from our hearts. And they began to worship God after, after a song. They just began, oh, hallelujah, in the three keys. Three, three chords. The three chords of that one key. They began to worship God, hallelujah. You're worthy, oh Lord, you're worthy, oh Lord, you're worthy. And the whole congregation was doing it with hands raised. I'd never seen that before. Today we've been programmed to think worship is singing and songs. That's the platform, but that's not where we should be going. Worship is your heart. Pastor Mark said last week, got to be obedient in your heart. That's the, plat that's the first step of worship. Then as we sing songs, we get into the place of worshiping from our heart, raising our hands. There are nine different ways to worship God according to Psalms and David. With your hands, you do, you do clapping, you do raising, you do playing of instruments. With your body, you do bowing and kneeling. You do uh, standing and you do dancing. With your, with your mouth, you do shouting and singing and you do proclaiming, proclamation. Those are the, the nine different ways, which is the number of the Holy Spirit. I'm trying to tie a bunch of stuff together here. And what we are asked to do is not to just come to church to sing songs, hear a nice word. We're to come to church to have our lives reminted and to abs ab take dominion back so that wherever we go, we are the personification and we are the demonstration of the glory of God on the earth. And when we speak, things happen. Instead of begging God for doing things, we are kings and priests. Kings proclaim, they don't beg. We can petition, we don't beg. 
Oh, this is so good, Pastor Ken. Thank you for bringing this word today, Pastor Ken. Now, worship team here. Are you here, worship team? Okay, we're going to do something. We're going to try something here. And since there's no service after this, ah, uh, what I want to do is this. I want to practice this. I may stop us and say, okay, stop everybody. Let's do it this way. I may just do that. I don't know. I'm, I'm a choir director. So if you make, if you make a mistake, I'll tell you and we'll start over. Okay. <clears throat> Are you with me? Does, does this make sense today? How, how this is, I gave you a basic Bible college theological setting and reason why we're to worship. It isn't just to hear ourselves sing. It's to give God glory, to clothe him, to change us, and to cause the enemy to flee. That's good stuff. All right? So what we're going to do... Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to give towards this ministry, learn more about our church and events, or are in need of prayer, please visit capitalchurch.co.